All right, we're rolling up. Hello, fam. Welcome to episode 82 of the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's Joey. We've got Paul in the house. What's up? And we've got our guest, Kashi, with us today. Hello, everyone. Good to have you with us, man. Really happy to be here. Couple things uh, before we rip in. We have our Persian yoga workshop coming up on the 14th of November, which is two Saturdays from now. So not this weekend, but the next. Wait, let me just confirm that. It's not this weekend, not the next, but the one after that. So you basically got two weeks. But that's going to be the topic of today's conversation. So let me expand more on that as we go. The other event you guys need to know about is Fight Night, which is coming up on December 12th. This is sponsored by Rise Foundation Australia. Well, they're the charity, the chosen charity that we're working with. Yep. Okay. Mm. And so all of the proceeds of the event go towards them. Mm -hmm. And then Rise are going to be putting that back in towards educating our people, our members and coaches Mm -hmm. on mental health first aid. Is that right? That's the plan at the moment. Yeah. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. They just want to put the money back into running more courses to spread awareness and upskill folks. So they were like, we'll just do it with your people in the gym, whether it's the coaches or members. So cool. It's a good idea. Legends. If you don't know much about Rise, you can listen to a podcast we did with Ben Higgs of Rise Foundation probably about 10 episodes ago. Um, really good episode talking about mental health and all aspects related to that. Go back and have a listen if you haven't already. Uh, but the fight night's going to be epic. We've got a bunch of different people from the gym fighting each other, kickboxing, boxing, wrestling, MMA, jiu-jitsu. Uh, it's going to be quite outrageous, but we are going to run it to a really high standard. There'll be a live stream. You can purchase the stream in true JB fashion. It will be a gold class event. Um, and then the only other person <laughs> to thank is Panavore for providing the coffee that I'm drinking today. Paul's drinking. Kashi doesn't drink coffee, but he's having a cup of tea. You don't drink coffee, bro. Not really, no. Um, come more from a tea culture. I like that. All right. Well, actually, this is a this is a nice little uh, a little segue. Can you give us an introduction, just to yourself? How you know how you ended up here? You you came to us um, representing this art that that you're passionate about. What's your What's your background, and how how's this all taken place? Okay, that's a pretty big question. But uh, why don't I start with telling you about how I found out about you? So uh, obviously, I've been uh, trying to promote uh, Persian yoga here in Australia for the last five, six years on a full-time basis. And, um, you know, I've presented it in uh, various different places. And uh, it's mainly been uh, initially through um, your regular gym, a couple of different uh, CrossFit locations and uh, yoga studios. Uh, it's really, I felt, uh, was a little bit of a mismatch because of the ethos, the principles, and the format of the training that um, I uh, kind of introduced through Persian yoga, and that is a more of a martial arts-oriented um, mm. philosophy. And that's uh, what you do here very well, uh, I found, uh, through social media, I found you, and I saw that uh, you have really integrated very well functional strength and movement, f- focusing on mobility and strength, and you also included um, I mean, here martial arts that you do, and I think you've tied it in very well, and uh, very few other places that I've seen have done this so well. And um, for me, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to introduce you guys to Persian yoga and what that is all about and the uh, philosophy and the um, uh, functional uh, aspects of the art uh, to you. And I hope that you see that uh, how it really ties in that uh, strength conditioning for specifically martial arts. 
And um, so, yeah, I wanted to be a part of this. That's why I reached out to you and um, said, look, I th really think you're going to like this. And uh, I hope I'm right. What do you think? So far, I've loved it, man. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the thing that I've been telling, because we've got the workshop coming up in a couple of weeks and, and obviously it's quite, um, folks don't know what it is, right? And I'm, I'm getting, the next thing I want to ask is just to d really break down what Persian yoga is. But um, I had heard good things about you from other people kind of in the strength community and the training sort of community. And once I met you, obviously the, the techniques and the tools that you use and, the, and, and all of that stuff was quite interesting. But what I found most intriguing about it was your passion for the art and how how you really feel um i guess just how you live the whole culture and how, uh, how how powerful it's been in your life and that's what i'm most attracted to that's what i think is cool and i think you know from uh for us as coaches and people who have learned from other teachers along the way often the most the most interesting teachers you have are the people who are just the most fascinating characters. The content of what they're teaching has to be good, but the if the if the person teaching it is is kind of fascinating, then that makes the whole uh, education process a lot more engaging. So I think yeah, you really you really embody it in a way, and that's a rare thing in this kind of modern world. Thank you for saying that, and I really uh, love the art. You know, I've uh, been practicing it for the last twelve years, and I'll tell you a little bit more about how I got into that. But previous to that, I was a martial artist on an amateur level. I used to like be competitive, and uh, what, always what sort of martial art? Uh, shoot fighting. Have you heard of this? Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like an M like a derivative of M MMA. Am I right? Yeah, it's it's very early type of MMA. If you guys are familiar with Frank Shamrock, Ken Shamrock brothers, they kind of like mm -hmm. really introduced this uh, shoot fighting. I grew up in Sweden. It was very big in Europe, shooto and shoot fighting. So yeah, uh, it's a mix of judo, wrestling, and Muay Thai. And so I was really involved with that and done like different uh, style of martial arts as well. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm 42 now. And as I started, you know, growing older, priorities changing in life and so on, I couldn't really be rigorous as rigorous with my training, um, you know, especially moving to Australia and moving and uh, studying and working and all this stuff. You know, life gets in the way. You get children and all these things. But I always wanted to maintain my um, strength and conditioning with a, a specifically, you know, martial arts focus. And that's when I, as I said, 12 years ago, I reconnected with uh, Persian yoga uh, when I traveled uh, back to my uh, home country of Iran and um, underwent some uh, training there. And since then, I've really immersed myself in that culture and in that way of life because traditionally this is a lifestyle like in iran it's a culture it's like um, people live and breathe it that's um, it's, it's it's a greater community and it's a way of uh, gnosis or, uh, it's a way of uh, self uh, attaining self-knowledge through strength through practicing strength and uh, it's a greater kind of like um, culture and uh, way of life around that that is perhaps a, uh, difficult to uh, embody in this uh, Western or in Australian context, you know. Uh, but uh, as I said in the um, beginning, I, th I feel that uh, you guys have done it very well here, and it, it is that that uh, I aspire to. Uh, I aspire to share with people that it is that that I aspire to immerse myself uh, further in because it has given me so much, and uh, I really want to share that. Very cool. Very cool. 
Um, so can you clarify for us, Persian yoga, obviously everyone knows what yoga is as a thing. And what I understand is that there seems to be no relation between Persian yoga and, and yoga, right? As it, as it is here in the West. What is it? What does the name mean? What's that connection? Mm, okay. To answer that question, we really need to uh, define what does yoga mean? You know, yoga, the word itself is a Sanskrit term. Uh, it derives from the word uh, yuj, which means to unify. The word unify uh, in English derives from this word. And essentially, it is a, uh, it, it is a practice, it is a way of unification. And that this unification, I mean, this can be, of course, debated and other people may have different um, perspective on this. But uh, to me, this unification uh, is an integration of uh, the body and the spirit. You know, um, there is these aspects of uh, mindfulness and, and the um, and mental, I guess, uh, body, mind, spirit as they divide it, although we don't do that in our specific culture and I can elaborate on that why, but it is the unification of these different aspects of you that make you a whole person and it is a practice to attain that. That is to me uh, what yoga means. I think the best uh, explanation that I've heard about what yoga is, is the practice of meditation. Now, this practice of meditation can take various forms. I mean, in Eastern uh, approaches, they talk about mindfulness, they talk about uh, stillness meditation. But m my master says that for it to be true, the opposite needs also to be true. So if you ha have an approach to uh, meditation through stillness and mindfulness, you can also have an approach to meditation through movement and what we refer to as heartfulness, which is really the at the core of the uh, Persian yoga way, if you want to say that. Now, this uh, is the term yoga. And um, you mentioned like the uh, comparison and the contrast between, I guess, Indian yoga or Hatha yoga, which is the original yoga. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of Patanjali who uh, wrote the Yoga Sutras, some uh, 250 BC something. And it is uh, similarly around those times that we start to see in literature uh, references to Pahlavani, which is the um, authentic or the original term that we use in our language to describe this practice. And um, I need to perhaps elaborate on what that means because Pahlavani is the um, conjunction of the word Pahlavan with the suffix I at the end. So in our language, in Persian, that I uh, is emphasizing a way of being. So it means the way of the Pahlavan. And now what does this word Pahlavan mean? Uh, it is the, uh, I guess, combination of the English terms of a knight, a champion, and a hero. Uh, kind of like a paladin, you know, uh, and uh, so in essence, th this means the way of the knight. And you got to understand really how this came about. You got to go back in history very, very long time ago when the Indo-Iranians and the Indo-European uh, people like were migrating and they were like a w one people and they start um, splitting up into different groups and they migrate to different areas. The um, northern Indo-Iranians settled in northern India, the Iranians settled in the uh, Iranian mainland and that's where their cultures and their arts start to diverge and develop at a different rate and in a different uh, way. So 
then you have to also look at the social context of these people. The, these people uh, had a social structure, which most societies they have, and um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the Aryans had a caste system, or they still have a caste system in their society where it is uh, divided between the um, Brahmans, the Kshatriyas, and the Vaishyas. And b- essentially what that means, the Brahmans were the... Uh, or are the religious or the spiritual leaders of the uh, culture and society. You got the Kshatriyas who are the warriors or the kingly on the warrior caste. And then you have the Vaishyas, which essentially means everyone else, or, you know, farmers and merchants and all of that. So uh, these, um, you know, if you look at how their cultures and um, societies evolved, r- evolved mainly uh, around these two main castes. Some societies are more driven by the Brahmanis or the r- religious or the spiritual leaders, and they gave rise to this Hatha Yoga, or this practice, this physical practice of unification of the um, body and spirit. Now, the warriors, the Kshatriyas, also had a practice, or also have a practice. And that practice is referred to as Pahlavani, or in India, which this practice also exists today in a different form, although very similar, they refer to it as Pahlavani. So it's very, very similar. They have different, uh, I guess, uh, a little bit differences uh, and nuances between them, which are very interesting to talk about. Uh, But essentially, this art is the art of meditation of the warrior caste, or the Kshatriya caste. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So you're saying that in amongst the evolution of these different societies, uh, the predominant, well, maybe not predominant, but there was a uh, certain parts or certain like different elements, different castes within that society had their practice, be it physical or spiritual. Exactly. And that would become a predominant thing in that culture. And so it just so evolved that, that in Iran, the, the caste system, do you say, of the Kshatris? Kshatriyas, yeah. Kshatriyas. The warriors. So that became like a, like quite a prominent practice, this strength practice. and Yes, it has to be. And then you have to start looking at the history of that region, why it turned out that way. Because, uh, you know, it, um, I mean, you look at the history of Middle East, there's wars happening even to this day. And that goes back very, very long time in history. So, uh, for example, like the Persians, they have fought the world's second longest war in the history of the earth. 780 years of warfare with the Roman Empire. You know, wow. to put that into context, that, that, what, what does that necessitate? It necessitates a ready, readily access to uh, trained men, warriors and fighters that can, you know, generation after generation be ready to be deployed. You know, so um, um, that's just one example. And then there's been like uh, several waves of invasions from Muslim Arabs to uh, the Greeks. I'm sure you are very familiar with Alexander's conquest of um, Persian Empire. And then there's the Turks and the Mongols and the list goes on and on, you know, and even to this day. So uh, it necessitated this art and culture uh, to um, really be more prominent 
you know, to um, uh, really play a major role because uh, time and time again, after all these like uh, various invasions by these various people, um, you know, Persians as a whole are very freedom uh, loving and um, peaceful culture and they had to kind of rise up against these invaders and uh, oust them, which they did time and then there is like a long history about that uh, and very fascinating as well, uh, of these uh, pahlavans or these knights coming together um, assembling together, uh, training together in caves, in underground facilities, you know, when they are, uh, for example, when the Arabs uh, invaded, they uh, didn't allow uh, Persian men to gather in groups or carry arms, etc. So they had to do this in hiding and uh, they had to disguise their um, practices. Uh, you know, as you, uh, you saw today, we, for example, use the uh, instrument that resembles the shield and we use instrument that resembles like clubs and maces, you know, so they had to kind of like disguise their practice and uh, incorporate music and chanting and drumming <laughs> into it. Mm, kind of like mm, capoeira, I'm sure. So this evolution happened over thousands of years, you know, and the culmination and the end result of that is the Pahlavani culture, which, um, as I said, we have the earliest um, um, literal, uh, in the, the earliest references to it in literature is from the Bhagavad Gita and the Mahabharata that are in, uh, Indian texts that dates it back to uh, about uh, 250 BC. Uh, but we have reasons to believe that it's much older than that. So um, to answer questions, yes, there was definitely a need uh, in terms of what was going on in that region that made this art become much more, um, um, you know, predominant in the Iranian culture. As I've also mentioned, it exists in, as well in the Indian culture. But there, you know, I think that um, that um, Brahmani-oriented um, or led movement of Hatha Yoga became more prominent and uh, also through Western discovery of that and the kind of um, cultural appropriation of that, it spread more and became more prevalent, uh, prevalent in the West. Yeah, makes sense. And now you have beer yoga and naked yoga. Chocolate and yoga. And chocolate, yeah, yoga. you've got all these great different So why not virgin yoga? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so an ancient art form dating back to around 250 BC. Yes, we uh, also uh, the Persian culture is the oral culture. We don't uh, we don't necessarily had a, a, a written. written culture mm -hmm. until very very late. So we have reasons to believe that this culture is actually much older than that. But as I mentioned, the first mm -hmm. uh, textual references to that is dating around that time. And uh, has it changed much over time? Yes, of course it has. Um, it was, uh, for example, like uh, it used to be practiced outdoors. But mm. as I mentioned, uh, because of subsequent invasions, they had to literally go underground and mm -hmm. practice in caves. And today it's practiced in a dome-shaped dome structure, which is often windowless, mm. with just one window at the top of the dome to let in some light, you know? Mm. And uh, uh, they practice in an octagon, in a pit, inside a, a pit in an octagon at the center of that temple. Uh, so it has changed, and uh, for example, the uh, spiritual practices around that has been flavored and nuanced throughout these thousands of years by the various kind of uh, cultural, spiritual, and religious movements that have um, you know developed in that region over time. Interesting. Um, wow. So so old. 
it's no surprise that it has changed over all, all that time. It has what, to because like yeah. if it if you don't change with time, yeah. you're extinct. Like look at the That's dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> That's right. All the religions are, are now bowing to to the modern way of life now, uh, having to make adjustments to fit in with and be relevant in the modern world. To be relevant, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask, so what does it look like today? Um, uh, not just the things of like what they practice, but like how many people are practicing it uh, worldwide, um, back home where it originated, and then uh, here in Sydney, like do you practice with a group of people here or is it difficult to find people? Okay. Um, it is very well uh, alive and it's actually growing faster today than any time and point in its history, uh, thanks to technology and thanks to like initiatives such as this. Um, in Iran, there are, as I mentioned uh, earlier, as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, a, we practice in temples, and in Iran today, there's uh, round about about 500 temples over uh, throughout the country, mm. and they've established now temples in neighboring countries um, in that region in Iran, such as in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Tajikistan, and uh, where the Persian culture is very very strong. Okay. You know? and has that just grown like in the last 50 years to those sorts of numbers? But it was much more diminished. Or, or was it, a, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, you know, in the um, early 2000s, it was really diminishing. Yes. Because of the influence of bodybuilding and Western-style training that uh, also became, like, very popular in Iran. So the younger generation was, like, really looking at that rather than the traditional way of uh, training because it's, it's considered, like, old too old school like we have a different we have two terms for this art one is pahlavani as i mentioned the other one literally means uh, the way of the ancients you know so the way of the ancients weren't as popular and you know um, yes. um, but that has changed through the initiatives that uh, you know um, these guys are taking and also the uh, interest and the focus that people in the West are starting to show to this art because through the endeavors of uh, certain individuals uh, the art of the Indian clubs have become very very uh, popular uh, in in the West and people start looking at that and they started asking questions okay so where does Indian clubs come from and how was mm -hmm. that developed and they come to the art of the meal uh, or the Persian clubs which is the third art of Persian yoga but never Nevertheless, a very prominent art of Persian yoga, which is the precursor and the grandfather of, of all type of clubs. I'm sure you know about the club bell, the steel type of clubs. There's now mace clubs as well and uh, yeah. different things, you know. So the Persian meal is the grandfather of all these things. So people started looking at that and they, they I mean... Never, it doesn't matter where you are, people want something that is original, People want something that is authentic. People want something that they can connect with and something that has, um, it's, has a greater value than the, just the material. You know? yeah. And um, it, this art has it all. It has all of those things. So a lot of people are paying attention to that. And uh, in 2007, when I first went to Iran to learn this art, I and a group of other individuals, uh, we formed the first international uh, organization the only international organization with its headquarters in Iran, with the mission to spread this art uh, across the globe, uh, in, in, in the whole world. Our vision is to make Persian yoga or Pahlavani 
part of the uh, Olympic Games. And to do that, uh, this art needs to be practiced in every continent and in minimum 55 countries. And um, I think last count, we're uh, at 48 countries. And I'm the development officer for the International Zuhorn Sports Federation in Oceania. So my objective is to grow this art in Australia. And uh, I have done that. I have several students that they teach. They teach in Sydney, they teach in Queensland, also in Victoria. And um, um, I teach myself more on um, kind of like a workshop basis, on a private basis. Uh, the reason I haven't been teaching like uh, as many classes is I recently graduated as a chiropractor. So that was like a very full on uh, experience and time consuming. So I'm kind of now again finding my feet and trying to uh, organize myself to promote this uh, at, at a more structured and um, intensive way. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, do you find um, the people here that are being engaged in Australia, they mainly of Persian descent, or is, is, is there lots of people taking up to it? Uh, well, my target is not necessarily, I'm, I mean, I want to share it with everyone that is interested, um, but my target is not necessarily uh, people of uh, Iranian descent. Mm. Um, I want to share this with uh, as many people as possible, those who are interested and capable of doing this. I mean, you, Joey, have some experience with that, uh, with this art, and um, I'm sure you can, uh, you have felt that it's a strong practice. It's, um, mm. it's, it's, it's a very, very strong and rigorous practice. So It's extremely challenging. It's not for everyone, but that doesn't mean not everyone uh, who put their mind to it cannot do it. I mean, everything is just mindset, right? So um, I have felt, and I, in my experience, I have been very successful with sharing it with um, a, lot of, a, a lot of group of people, uh, specifically in the US and in Canada, because their culture is a little bit uh, different than the Australian culture, which is a little bit more uh, conservative, I would say. And, uh, but n nevertheless, it's growing in popularity here as well. And a lot of people are looking at this at the moment. It's interesting um, thinking about you trying to help this art get a foothold in, you know, in the Oceania region and just thinking about how, you know, I look at it and I, and I like all of, the, all of the, the richness behind it, but that richness is also, I think, what makes it hard for a lot of people to get into because it's not like you just go do a class of it once a week and you can like, you know, it's not like a spin class, right? Or it's not like an Olympic exactly. weightlifting session. Yeah, yeah. It's like this whole thing that you kind of, you have to- It's an art form. It's an art form and you have to buy into it and you have to give it time and you have to suck at it for, for I'm guessing for, for quite a while and all those things. But then I think about like jujitsu and how, you know, it's kind of abstract, right? Like, well, mm. the, the gi is not abstract because we've been introduced to the gi, like the uniform through judo and karate and taekwondo. But this idea that you have people in the West dressing up in these funny kind of old school kimonos and wrapping colored belts around themselves to practice an art. It's the same thing. Like that, that was once just as obscure in a country like this as is something like Persian yoga. Exactly. Um, so, you know, so it's like, so there, yeah, there's hope there, right? It can become, not, not to say that you necessarily want it to become something that is, is as big as say judo or taekwondo, but for it to become something that is widely kind of recognized and, and, practiced by quite a few people it's it yeah it's a very um it's a very admirable goal well thank you well um i, I guess 
um, that's uh, that would be a very good side effect of what I'm trying to do, you know, but my objective is really to uh, share it with those who have the eyes to see and the heart to follow through. Mm. It is, um, it, 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 I mean, I've experienced this again and again, it is either they love it or they can't do it and they don't want to do it because mm. it's too much, as you mentioned, it's just like uh, too many new things to learn, you know. Mm, which is not necessarily uh, a bad thing. I think it uh, enables a lifelong practice. Can I ask, um, uh, in the practice, um, how much of that is the physical training and how much time is spent on the uh, spiritual aspects of it? And for you personally, or as well as you say, you know, maybe you will start to build more of a structure for people to, you know, come in and do some classes with more structure and you present it in such a way, like how much of that would be taken up with mindful practice and spiritual practice? This is a very interesting question. And the best way um, uh, is to give you a kind of like comparison and so you're able to compare and contrast um, the different mindset and the different, um, I guess, philosophies around uh, this approach. One is very predominant in the West, I refer to it as a linear approach. It's serial. So, for example, you come to your gym, you do a warm-up, maybe you do some stretches, then you do your strength practice, um, and afterwards maybe you do some cardio uh, some other day, you know what I mean? And mm, perhaps even you meditate on some day, mm. right? Mm. So it's a very linear approach. It's serial processing. We have a fundamentally diametrically opposite approach, and our approach is circular, it's integrative. So in a single practice session, we will practice all of the above. Meditation, concentration, coordination, um, agility, balance, strength, flexibility, mm. mobility. All of it is integrated within the various practices that we, or arts that we perform. There are seven arts to Persian yoga. And it's meant to enhance and develop, basically strengthen you from all these different aspects, both physically and spiritually, in the shortest amount of time. Because as I mentioned, mm. the Romans are coming. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So can you give us an example of, of how, you know, if you spent uh, a few hours of an afternoon practicing, like what's an example of, I, I'm imagining it in my head, but can you explain? Sure. Okay. Uh, it would never be a couple hours. It's meant to be like much more short and concise uh, than that. <laughs> Usually f uh, 40 minutes to hour and a half max. You know, if it goes beyond that, I think you're having a very lazy practice. <laughs> you know? um, uh, but um, okay, uh, I guess I, the best explanation of what I'm trying to say here now is the experience of it. Mm. Nothing substitutes for mm. that, you know. But uh, I will try. And um, it would be... I'll go back to how they practice in the temple. You enter the temple, all the men, it's only uh, in Iran currently today, this practice is only done by men. And only men can enter the octagon in the temples to practice. From the age of seven, you, get, you gain uh, access entry to the... Um, Zurkhane, which is the name for the temple. It literally means house of strength, but it's, as I said, it's more of a temple. 
And then you are guided by the Morshed, who literally means a guide, or the guru, maybe you can refer to him as, to get, get you a picture. He sits on a pulpit, and he beats a drum, and he starts chanting. The chanting is uh, recitations of mystical poetry. There is recitations of spiritual texts, religious texts. And this is meant to infuse spiritual invigoration in the athlete as they enter into the octagon. Everything is done to the rhythm of music, to the beat of the drum. So there is harmony in the movement. There is unity in the practice. And you get and you build the circle. Everyone is facing each other. And I showed you earlier today how we get uh, into the circle and we interlock our legs so that we are one connected body. And then the push-ups start. So you are moving together, you are performing strength feats together, meanwhile uh, having these um, recitations occurring and the guidance of the Morshed or the Master uh, is there to infuse this uh, with you. Now, the physical aspects of the practice, as I said, um, and we can uh, go more in detail about that perhaps, uh, is not just doing strength and then doing flexibility and then doing mobility. Mm, mm, the mm. movements are such that it's all integrative. So I hope this answers your question. Yeah, it's best, ex best is the experience. I kind of, I kind of getting what you're saying and I, I, I love this idea. I, I really like it. And I can understand or I can start to understand like the, the energy. And, you know, I, I think directly, well, I saw some videos of this, the temple and the dancing and the interlocking. And I can see, you know, I've been to events. I grew up at, in, in churches because uh, I have a religious family. And, um, you know, these sorts of experiences, even at church, is something that a lot of people walking around here in, in Australia don't understand if they didn't grow up at church because we sing songs they're very emotive. We do it together. We clap, and um, and I, I, I get a sense of that energy. It's a build up, and it's almost palpable in the room. Exactly. And then I think about like training here, and training, and how we train this Western style and stuff. And uh, it's very different. Like uh, uh, depending on the coach or the gym, you know, it's very routine and very regimented. And there's music going here, and people doing different things. And, you know, talking, there's people talking between sets, and that's fine too, but uh, it's very uh, obvious to me when you have, and then I'm thinking of the martial arts sessions where you have a, you know, you've got a coach there that's more of a strict coach and doesn't like loud music, and there's, I don't know, somehow in the way that they command it, whether it's on purpose or not, there's just a seriousness about the practice, you know, and everyone's working, you can hear people breathing, and can you relate to what I'm saying, Joe? You yeah, so, you know, you it's have, more of a sacredness. It's more of a sacredness to the, to the, the martial arts practice, which yeah. goes somewhere towards what you're saying. Yeah, and that's why I, I asked about how much is spiritual and stuff because I think, um, in the example you gave about BJJ's, now it's come to the West and it's everywhere and it's changing itself. I feel like um, a lot of the sacredness of the dojo has been lost in many, many. BJJ gyms because there's so many now it's very accessible and there's lots of colored belts around um, so you'll go from gym to gym and different coaches won't have that respect so they're just practicing the the art you know and I and I wonder I asked you because I thought uh, if it uh, goes on 10-15 years from now are you just going to be doing the strength stuff and the spiritual stuff is diminished but it sounds to me that um, there's it's integrated there's no way that that could 
that could happen. Uh, I understand what you're saying, and it was a great example that you gave in regards to that um, church experience because uh, it is a worship. You mm. are you are mm. worshiping, and our worship is a worship of strength. You know, mm. and it, that, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's a physical and spiritual worship of strength, and you're imbibing this strength because in our philosophy, as I said, we don't really uh, differentiate between uh, the body and the mind. Mm, we uh, see it as the body and the spirit. So the body, we see it as an expression of the spirit, and the spirit spirit is uh, the culmination of that body. So we say the body is gross spirit, and spirit is subtle. Body body and you have to strengthen both otherwise you're unbalanced you know so that that is our uh, approach to it and as i mentioned the example that i gave you it was in regards to the temples how this is um, originally practiced as a ritual ceremony but in a western context and uh, i i have done this uh, on purpose because understanding the culture i mean i grew up in the west uh, from the age of eight i grew up in sweden and 20 years ago i moved to australia so i understand the western culture it's like in a way you know um you have to give them the abridged version you know you have to give mm. them an abstract mm. kind of so and i have focused it more on the uh, physical aspects of the practice and that's how i re really promote it if you go to uh, persianyoga.com or like uh, look me up on social media you will see that i'm more highlighting those um, physical um, practices and arts uh, but um, having said that as I said, it would be lopsided and one-sided if that um, spiritual essence of it didn't come through. And it does because it's embedded and integrated in the practice. And as I said earlier, those who really connect with this art want to go to the root of it. They want to explore it. And it gives a wonderful opportunity of a lifelong practice. And that's one of the reasons that I love it so much. Can you talk to me about um this is kind of a little bit of a little bit off center but just give us a bit of a background about persia because i think a lot of for, for a lot of folks they don't quite understand it's now called iran um wh what's it like as a culture uh, when when did the name change you know you mentioned that only that only males can practice this so that's obviously like in the west that's like oh well, that's a bit that's a thing right um can you talk on the, the culture a bit sure uh, it has always been iran we have always called our country Iran. Uh, Persians are uh, ethnic majority, 55% of the demographic. There are a um, lot of other different ethnicities. Myself, I'm half Persian, half Saka, which is the eastern tribe of uh, Iran, uh, in uh, eastern tribe in Iran. And uh, it is kind of like what what brings all these different ethnicities and uh, together is the Persian culture. So uh, in the West, I mean, through the um, histories of the Greeks, such as Herodotus, Heraclitus, all these people that left us with, uh, uh, you know, um, written context, biased, I'd say, from their point of view, uh, um, writing about uh, Iran and Iranians, they knew the Persians, and that's why they refer to it as the Persia or Persians. But and, and, th and that's a kind of misconception or it's like a misunderstanding because f f to us it's Iran. You know, Iran means the land of the Aryans. 
and it is uh, you know where these people came settled and um, grew the culture developed the first uh, em- global empire uh, in the antique in antiquity the largest empire the world had ever seen to that date and uh, you know they used this art form as i mentioned very successfully to um, grow their military might, you know, um, basically. And uh, obviously, as, as, as it happens, and the greed of people, and they started having expansionist ideas and um, all those things that uh, followed around that. So that's kind of like to answer questions in regards to uh, when it changed from Persia to Iran. It's always been Iran. Okay. Uh, and in the 1920s sometime, uh, the then king kind of made a decree and it was kind of funny because uh, he said all right from now on this day on forward any mail that is addressed to persia you send it back it has to be addressed to iran and <laughs> that's when in the west they started calling it iran so they think that it's two different things but it's not two different things it's the <laughs> same thing right so i hope that answers your question yeah so so per- persians are an ethnic group yes iran is the country the country right yes. with borders Yes, I mean, it's a very similar situation here in Australia, right? Because you have Australia, but then you have all these different, um, you know, Kuri nations that live within its borders. Yeah. What's the predominant religion in Iran? Today, it's uh, Shia Islam, but that has not always been the case. And um, Persian yoga, uh, originally... This, I mean, the roots of its spiritual practices uh, is very closely related and connected to Mithraism, which used to be the largest religion on the planet. And, uh, you know, this is some 2,000, 3,000 years ago. And uh, then it was flavored with Zoroastrianism, which became the state religion of the Iranian Empire. Until... 1600 years ago when the Muslim Arabs invaded and uh, converted the nation and this conversion process took like 600 years, four to 600 years, you know, Mm. and um, then it became predominantly Muslim, uh, Sunni Muslim, because at that point there was just one flavor of Islam uh, in a sense, but then it grew this, this domestic kind of movement uh, grew and it reinterpreted that Islamic um, culture in the ben- through the lens of the Iranian or Persian culture and that gave rise to what we have today, Shia Islam, which is the predominant religion uh, of that uh, country. And in Iran today, uh, Shia Islam is the largest religion, but you have Sunnis, you have uh, Christians, you have Zoroastrians, you have Hindus and Buddhists, and you also have the largest communities of Jews in Middle East living outside of Israel in Iran. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and it, would you say it's um, in, in that region, it's, it would, it's an open culture then? From a, from, you know, coming from a part of the world where traditionally there's been a lot of conflict... Yeah, I understand. And now we're kind of like moving towards, I guess, uh, geopolitics and a religion, which is, I have my own opinion, you know, and, um, but that, not, that may necessarily not re- reflect like what's actually um, is going on. So take this with a grain of salt. But um, the Persian culture is what has kept these people up until this day relevant and strong and united. You know, 
when the and this goes again and again into the history of uh, those invasions the first one was the invasion of alexander you know and he's in macedonian and comes from a greek culture but they come and uh, you know come to iran and he adopts the persian culture he adopts the persian courtly manners and that's why his generals killed him off you know one of the reasons and uh, you know and that repeats itself with then the subsequently the arabs coming and they becoming persianized and then the turks and the same thing happened there and then the mongols which came and actually killed by the sword half of the population you know that was like a huge i mean i'm sure you heard about the mongols and you, you know the atrocities yeah man <laughs> i'm talking pyramids of heads this is actually mm. true so but what happens in they also start uh, uh, adopting the persian culture and uh, during the reign of the uh, mongols probably one of the greatest literary works of the persian culture was commissioned you know what i'm saying mm. so it it's kind of like the survivalist instinct of the persian culture in itself that is known for its hospitality that is known for its openness that has been able to survive that way if that answers your question yeah, it does when you say Persian culture, they adopted the Persian culture or took it on. Um, it might be a difficult one to answer, but like, what would that be? Because when I, I think it might be difficult when you say, "Oh, describe Western culture," I wouldn't. It would be difficult for me to describe it. Um, but can you attempt to? Is, is there some obvious ways that you could paint a picture for like, if a group of people came from somewhere else and lived there for a while, they start to adapt the Persian cultures, and you started touching on it. It's like a hospitableness or. What is it? Is it? It's like a tea ceremony. Yes, you got to sit down <laughs> and you got to talk about it. Yeah, you got to get know. You got to get to know it and fall yes. in love slowly. You know. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's something that happens over time. You know. It what has I mean? to. But right. but, uh, but it is it is this uh, essence of light and love. It is this essence of uh, mm. equality and uh, you know um, in, interpreting kind of the hard realities from a more of a heart-centered orientation and that's what i refer to in the beginning uh, where mm. you can differentiate between mindfulness and heartfulness mindfulness being more of that eastern approach mm. whereas heartfulness is that is at the core of the persian culture to my understanding it is at the core of the persian culture and it's very different to mindfulness where we are saying that you operate from your heart center mm. and that's your guiding principle forget about the mind because it. it's a chatterbug it's a chatter monkey just like mm. going and you're trying to steal that good luck with that i mean there are practices with that we simply bypass that right and we go straight into the heart so you operate from the center of the heart that i guess should kind of uh, give you an idea of what that persian culture is about how cool man all right so talk to us about the You've discussed a couple of the different implements that are used, and you've mentioned to me uh, outside of the show that they all have a, the the tools that are used in the practice have a relevance to battle. Can you talk us through that? Sure. So <clears throat> uh, there are seven arts uh, to Pahlavani or Persian yoga, and each art symbolically represents of a state uh, symbolically represents a stage of battle. And I'm talking about the ancient style of uh, battle in antiquity. 
and uh, so we ne- we need to kind of like uh, flesh that out a little bit, and um, uh, you know, I will make some references and give some examples to kind of highlight um, why we use these implements and tools, and the sequence and order of it is very important. As I mentioned to you in the temples, what we're really doing is a uh, ritual ceremony, and this ritual ceremony is that of an ancient combat situation which is as close as you can get to an actual full combat without it being full contact. Yeah? So it's, uh, we have to understand uh, on the onset that Persian yoga or Pahlavani is a martial arts strength conditioning system. It's not a martial art. It's a st- martial arts strength conditioning system that is today also used by our uh, national uh, wrestling team. Mm, and um, if you know about the Iranian wrestlers, you know that they're very, very successful on the global scene and the Olympics and all of that stuff. Uh, but to go back now to uh, you know that ancient style battle, what happens is that you have two armies and you know they approach each other. The first thing they do is, I mean, you've seen this in movies, it's shield formation. Mm. You know, so they line up two armies in, uh, against battle, sh- uh, shield in hand, getting ready. The shield is the first art of Persian yoga. So that symbolically represents that first stage of battle. And um, you experience the shield today, and mm. you, you, you kind of like understood that it is about coordination, precision, strength, and movement. And uh, that's kind of like what the functional uh, aspect of the shield. Then it's like the second stage of battle. What happens is that you got now these two armies um, running and clashing into each other, right? So, you know, it's chaos. You're pushing, you're being pushed, you fall down, you got to get up, you got to be able to move 360 spherical, you know, in all range of motion, be able to produce strength in 360, like a spherical type of um, um, mobility range of motion and uh, planes of movement. And that is represented to us uh, symbolically by the art of the shena or the push-up board. So we will do um, dynamic asanas or postures on the shena at the same time as we're doing strength uh, exercises. So we're doing push-ups and then we're doing uh, various different dynamic postures because if you relate it to martial art, static flexibility, in my point of view, uh, doesn't really, uh, or maybe I should f- reframe and say it like this: dynamic flexibility serves you better than static flexibility because martial art is about movement. It's about that martial art uh, environment is the battleground. So you need to be quick and be able to produce strength and mobility and flexibility in the motion, not holding something statically. So mm, having understood that, that's what the second art of Persian yoga or the art of shena represents: is that clash of them coming together. And, and if people have seen that, it's literally like a like a strip of timber with a couple of feet, you place your hands on it, and then you have, I mean, it, it looks like, oh, there's a couple of things you can do with that. Once you start moving on it, there's like hundreds of different things that, yeah, hundreds of different <laughs> movements that happen versatile. with that simple piece of equipment. Yeah, Example, Exactly, and this, what you said, is, um, I guess, uh, representative of the art in its whole. It's very simple. It's meant to be simple, because you're taking farmers and you're gonna train them to become warriors, you know what I mean? So it has to be simple, yeah. it has to be effective, and it'll be very, very efficient. So uh, that brings us to the third stage of battle, and that is when you know the weapons comes out and they're bashing each other with hammers, swords, lances, maces, axes, or whatever it is. 
And that is represented through the art of the meal or the Persian club. So that's what we do. And again, there's a lot of different things that we do uh, with that. And um, just to kind of tie it back to the realness of it, uh, you know, it represents a handheld weapon and there's various different ranges and exercises that we do with it. It develops hand-eye coordination, strength, stamina, mobility, and uh, um, what I was going to say is that that is all required when you're using uh, like a handle weapon in, in combat. I have read that in ancient style combat, they used to swing their arms three to 4,000 times. So you need that stamina. In a battle. In a battle, yeah. So that's, that's mm. what we represented with swinging the mace or the swinging the club for like good 10 to 15 minutes, you know. And uh, you, uh, again, you start at the uh, low weight and that low weight is considered to be six kilogram pair of clubs we measure them in pairs so that's three kilograms each club and uh, again that goes back to uh, that combat situation that you had to be able to manipulate a sword or a mace that was between one to two kilos so to begin as a beginner you have to start at three kilos which is one kilo heavier to condition yourself and then when they give you a weapon that f that should feel lighter for you you know and if you cannot handle a six kilo pair of clubs I'm sorry, you're not ready. Mm. You become a liability rather than an asset. So it's kind of like as a gauge, you know. It's like a um, uh, be able to like, um, like tell the yeah, tell the boys from the men, you know. Then you come to the fourth art of Persian yoga, which we, um, I guess, we call it pozadan. It literally means kicking and stomping. Uh, it's uh, footwork. It's footwork in a high-intensity interval training format. This is for cardiorobic conditioning, agility, balance, and that sort of stuff. It, the art is very beautiful. It uh, has a lot of folk dance type of uh, um, aspects to it, and it culminates in whirling. And um, I'll just briefly explain this term if you're not familiar with it. This is when you uh, spin you spin around and um, perhaps you or your audience are familiar with the whirling dervishes who were founded, uh, their order, uh, the order of Sufis, Mevlevi Sufis was founded by Rumi. Um, do you have heard of this guy? Rumi, yeah. Rumi, yeah. Is this I've seen his quotes on Instagram. Yeah, yeah he's very popular there. <laughs> he's very popular. Awesome. But yeah, some awesome like writings. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was Persian. So, okay, like a Sufist poet. Yeah, 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 mystical poet. You know, and we use a lot of his poetry in our recitations. And he really established this form of uh, meditation, formalized it as this uh, form of meditation where they are whirling and they're spinning around themselves to music. You know, and we do that. They have one form of uh, whirling. We have actually three. So chicken and egg, what came first? I don't know, that's not what it's about, but I'm trying to give you an uh, example of that dynamic movement meditation in practice, right? Mm -hmm. And this symbolically represents the stage of the battle when, you know, after the main battle, you're either chasing or you're being chased. So you mm -hmm. need to have that cardiovascular ability, right? Yeah. And usually uh, what happens is that, you know, let's say you're chasing your enemy, they will run to their barracks or castles or fortresses or whatever. And again, this is a scene that you have seen so many times in uh, various movies when these guys are trying to break in and then those guys on top of the walls chucking stuff on them from the top, you know. Mm -hmm. This brings us to the fifth art of um, Persian yoga. 
uh, which is the art of the Kabode. This I will bring this uh, with me for the workshop here on the 14th. Uh, and this is symbolically uh, representing of the bow. So it's a steel bow, and instead of a string, it has a chain. It's quite heavy, and you swing this overhead. So to develop overhead range of motion, strength, and stamina. And of course, you understand you need to be able to protect yourself from overhead kind of uh, things, right? This art also includes uh, the climbing of a rope. So symbolically, again, this uh, represents when you're climbing over the enemy wall. So this brings us now to the sixth art, right? You've climbed over the enemy wall, and now you're going to wrestle them one by one. So the sixth art of Persian yoga is Pahlavani wrestling, which is the precursor to catch wrestling and freestyle wrestling. So this is the original type of uh, wrestling. I mean, the other there's many different uh, wrestling styles. There's many different um, folk wrestling, but the m Olympic styles of wrestling today is freestyle wrestling, which, as I mentioned, has its uh, origins in Pahlavani wrestling. And then you have Greco-Roman wrestling, which you can know from the name where it comes from, right? So that's now uh, the sixth art. As I said to you earlier today, all of this is a preparation for the wrestling. It's a warm-up for the wrestling. It's a warm-up for the wrestlers. Our national team, they will practice a um, couple of times, two to three times a week, Persian yoga. The rest of the time, on the mat, wrestling technique. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So, and, uh, of course, that brings us to the end of the battle. You know? Either you won or you lost. Yeah? And the seventh art of uh, Persian yoga is the art of the bell and the drum. This is the art of the master or the guru, where he beats the drum and uh, rings the bell to guide the training ceremony. And he does these recitations and uh, singing and chanting, which symbolically represents the after party or the <laughs> after <laughs> lamentations. Mm. Right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it includes both those type of aspects. Some of them are very, very sorrowful, you know, and reminds you of the fallen heroes. And some of them are very, very uplifting and spiritual. That reminds you of like the uh, essence of victory. <laughs> so that is the seven arts of uh, Persian yoga. That's so cool. Can I ask you um, for the uh, the push up board? What did you call that again? Shena. S-H-E-N-A, and in Persian, it literally means swimming because we are uh, moving very fluidly in wave-like motions in a circular, continuous fashion. So there's okay. you, you start, you don't stop. Okay, the Shana. Um, does that physical object relate to something of The battle? sword. It is the sword, okay. Yes, it yep. symbolically represents the sword. So we have the shields, that. we have the sword, we have the mace, and we have the bow. Incredible. So do you, um, like, how do you, yeah, obviously, like, if you're practicing, you practice all parts. Everything. In that sequence that I mentioned. In that, oh, in one particular uh, training session, in you touch on all of them. All of them. You go through them from the beginning. In that to order. End. Yes, in that order. So you're, as I said, it's a ritual ceremony of a battle. Mm -hmm. Something I found interesting um, today, so before we recorded the podcast, a few of us downstairs had a play with the the sung, which yes. is the shields. Yes. Which, you know, from the outside, it looks like a couple of like tabletops. Like it's a, you know, it's a big board of timber with a handle in the middle. And, um, you know, you can see this on my, on the Jungle Brothers Instagram actually, because I'll, I'll put this up late today. So folks, by the time this is out, they'll be able to see it. But um, 
like with everything that Kashi has taken us through, he makes it look incredibly easy. And then like some, I try it and some of the guys here try it and we just fucking flail. Like we struggle with it, right? The coordination and the strength and, and all these little things, the grip strength and the wrist and all, all that. It's so, um, it's so demanding. But what I found interesting was that you said you had mastered that particular shield or those, that pair of shields which now weigh they uh, fifty kilos, right? Total. Yes. Uh, and you've been working with those same two shields for the last three years. That's correct. Yeah. So for three years, you haven't been able to move to like a new weight, or it's just been that same fucking thing. And I can only imagine that for the first year or two, it was really hard. Like it would have really sucked. It did. It did. And I gave up in the middle. Yeah, I think I mentioned that to you uh, for a period of time. I was just like, you know, this is not going to happen because I was stuck at 20 uh, because I, I should maybe say this. Uh, all of our arts have kind of like rules of thumb or like kind of like a progression where when you master that, you go on to the next weight. And it's very simple uh, with the shields, for example, when you can press 50 hands, that's a pair of hands. So left and right together um, is count uh, one left and right is one. So you got to do 50 of those. So 100 reps, maybe you can say. Um, yeah. So w once you achieve that, you are then ready to go to the next weight or the next stage, which is now for me the 60 kilo shields, which I'm very excited about. But uh, yeah, look, uh, I decided to follow the pro protocol, believe in the system and stick with it. And I found a great, tremendous amount of uh, benefit not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. Because when you put yourself through that and you put yourself in that state of dedication and practice and you overcome, it's very simple, right? You're just pressing a pair of shields. I mean, you said it's not uh, easy, but I'm saying it's simple. It's simple, but it's not easy, uh -huh. you know? Um, and you, you, you stick with it, something magical happens, you know? You develop this like emotional fitness you develop this mental fitness and that's what you need on the mat you need to push through throughout the discomfort as i showed you a little clip as i was like did my 50 master did like a couple of weeks ago you know i was dying you know yeah but i was also being reborn into what it takes strength. you how many minutes does it take you to Ten minutes. Hands. ten minutes yeah. yeah ten minutes under load it's kind of you know similar to like working with a kettlebell and a sort of you know, maybe somewhere around a Turkish get-up kind of position just to give folks a same little bit of context. Same principles. But it's like non-stop, under load, 10 minutes, both mm -hmm. hands, mm -hmm. and it's constantly moving. Yeah, it's not six reps, it's not 10 reps, it's not even 15, 20 reps, you know. You, you, you got to push through, you got to keep going. And that develops, um, you know, not just strength and endurance, but I would say power, you know. Um. We're going to wrap it up in a minute. It's been an action-packed hour. Could you could you take us through what you're going to be teaching us at the intro workshop? So just to give folks a bit of background uh, understanding of that. Yeah. So the introductory workshop, uh, I will uh, give a, a brief presentation um, to uh, the was it five arts? We won't do the wrestling part and I'm not going to sing definitely, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll guide you through the five arts of uh, the Persian yoga that I mentioned. So we will go through the sang shields. We'll go to the Shena push-up board, the meal, Persian clubs, 
the pozadan, which is the footwork and whirling, as well as the cabode or the steel bow. So I will introduce you to all of that. We, see, we, we hopefully get to go through the fundamentals of using them safely and uh, effectively. And we will do a group practice session or a group ceremony um, that um, mimics that ancient style battle that we've been discussing over the hour. And uh, I gotta say, it's been really great to be here with you guys and share this with you guys uh, because uh, you martial artists and also dancers, they pick up this art very quickly. They, they, you know, it's because of the movement protocol and the neurology is already primed to pick something like this up and push yourself to the next level. And I hope that's what I will do at the workshop. Very cool, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I appreciate you reaching out to us and, you know, bringing your implements in, carrying this heavy stuff from the car, spending the time to, to explain it and, and give us a taste of what it's all about. And thank you for being open and um, you know recep receptive to this. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I really thank enjoyed the chat. Here. Wonderful. Looking forward to the workshop. Be tireless, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, that was Kashi from Persian Yoga. Oh, Kashi, before you go, can you tell just um, where people can contact you, your website, Instagram? Persian Yoga. Just Google Persian Yoga, at Persian Yoga, and you want to reach me directly, it's kashi at persianyoga.com. Very cool. Very cool. Um, Get in touch, guys. Check it out. The intro workshop is going to be suited for all levels. So if, you, if you're intrigued by that little taste of, of the, the culture there, definitely come and do it. You can find the link on our social media or you can just go directly to Kashi's uh, website or his Instagram. Uh, if you like the episode, why don't you tell someone about it? Help support the show. Take a screenshot, post about it, tag us. Um, your support helps us to, to keep doing the shows and to bring awesome guests like Kashi into the place. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Panavore. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Thank you.